bringing you the best stories, best trends, and best game from the best conference. Fourth and Manageable, an SEC football podcast brought to you by 2400 Sports. Now, here's Brad Edwards. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me. I'm Brad Edwards, and this is Fourth and Manageable, a new podcast about SEC football. We're coming to you three times a week. You can download us on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and then on Sunday mornings after we have a conversation about the games late Saturday night when they've all ended. And that's a conversation I'll have every week with former Tennessee quarterback Tyler Bray. We'll go through most of the games played in the conference each day, and we'll talk about the the biggest games, the biggest plays, the coaching decisions, all that stuff. You'll get Tyler's perspective, you know, the player point of view on what happened in these games. And I think it'll be a really interesting listen for most of you. And uh, you can get that uh, for the second time this coming Sunday morning. But this, of course, is the Thursday podcast, which means we're going to talk about the games that are coming up on Saturday. And uh, it's it's a good slate for the SEC in week two. I think there are a lot of interesting games, and we're going to get into those starting with what I think are the two biggest ones of the day. College game day is in Austin, Texas for the Alabama game. And usually that's a sign that, hey, this is the big game in all of college football on a given Saturday. If game day is on campus, it's a big deal. But in this case, I I don't think it's even the biggest game of the day in the SEC or involving an SEC team. And I understand why game day is there. These are two name brands in the sport. They are playing each other for the first time since a national championship game to end the 2009 season. And they're soon to be conference rivals. We know in the very near future that both Texas and Oklahoma are going to join the SEC. And I don't know whether they'll play Alabama every single year or a lot of the time, but whatever. It'll be much more frequently than it has been. And uh, it, it'll be a, a matchup that we'll see much more often in the foreseeable future. And those are all reasons to find this game attractive. But you got to deal with the elephant in the room, which is that Alabama is about a three-touchdown favorite. The last I saw, they were favored by 20. So not a whole lot of people are expecting this to be competitive. And that is one of the reasons that, that I think the biggest game of the day is not this one for the SEC. It's Kentucky at Florida. And that one, I, I think, should be a lot of fun. Kentucky kind of sleptwalked through the first half of their season opener against Miami of Ohio, and then they turned it on in the second half. Had the type of final score you probably would have expected before the game began. Um, they did what they had to do. It was a typical week one performance uh, from a Power 5 school. Nothing to be alarmed about. Florida, of course, had a huge win, being unranked at the time, Uh beat number seven Utah at the Swamp in dramatic fashion. And Florida uh, vaulted all the way into the top 25 at number 12. And so this is a game between two ranked teams, which is another reason I think it's the biggest game of the day in the SEC. Now, there are two games involving SEC teams that are ranked versus ranked. The other one is Tennessee at Pitt, which obviously is not a conference game. And uh, on top of that, Florida and Kentucky have higher rankings than Pitt and Tennessee when you look at the teams. And so uh, that's that's another reason uh, to say that it's the biggest game of the day. Plus, it is one of two conference games, with South Carolina at Arkansas being the other one. And this one is more significant than that because it's in the division. Two teams in the SEC East 
and it has significance. Now, exactly what the significance is, I think really depends on whether you're giving the winner of this game any chance at all to beat Georgia. I don't want to say there's no way that anyone in the SEC East could beat Georgia. I will say it's not likely that anyone in the SEC East is going to beat the Georgia Bulldogs. Clearly the best team in the division and a huge favorite uh, to repeat as the division champ. But but that doesn't make this game meaningless. Um, in fact, you know, I, I think if you if you look at it from this perspective, Florida and Kentucky, sure, they they they've you know the winner of this game is going to have the inside track uh, to you know whether it's to be the primary contender with Georgia for the division title or simply to be the runner up to Georgia in the division. In in years to come, not not too far down the road, we're going to have a twelve team playoff format in which the the SEC is going to get at least three, if not four teams into that playoff most seasons, which means that you don't have to make the SEC championship game in order to get in the playoff. And and so I, I believe in the very near future, a game like this, ranked versus ranked, Kentucky against Florida, or, or let's say, um, you know, coming up soon afterward, Tennessee and Florida. Those types of matchups in the SEC East, even if you don't think the winner has a chance to compete with Georgia for the division title, those are very important games for positioning because whoever wins them is going to have a chance to finish with 10 or 11 regular season wins. And if anyone finishes with that number of wins in the regular season in the SEC in a 12-team playoff world, they're a contender. I'm telling you, they got a better than average chance of getting in. And so um, I, I think... We need to start paying more attention to games like this because very soon they're going to become a, a lot more meaningful and you're not just going to write it off as, okay, well, it's just fighting for the right to finish second to Georgia. Although this season, you know, that's that's probably what that is. And, you know, whenever these teams got together in recent years, it was never about the matchup, like Florida, Kentucky, who's going to win. It was always about the streak. And a, a lot of you may have forgotten this. Some of you maybe never knew it, but it wasn't that long ago. Florida won 31 consecutive games over Kentucky. I mean, from Emmett Smith's freshman season, 1987, all the way through 2017, Florida beat Kentucky every year. And every year when the game came around, the Kentucky players had to hear about it. When is going to be the year? And Kentucky, I mean, some years they got blown out. Other years they came up with some very creative ways to just throw away a game they should have won. Um, but the streak continued all the way until 2018 when Kentucky went into the swamp, pulled an upset, and then last season in dramatic come-from-behind fashion, Kentucky finally ended its home losing streak against the Gators. And so now when these teams play, we can talk about it as far as the merits of the game itself. Two good teams going head-to-head in a game of significance as opposed to it being, can Kentucky end the streak? And I know that is a huge relief for Mark Stoops and, and a lot of the Kentucky players um, that it can now be really about the game on the field. Now, what's the ceiling for either of these teams. I, I I think for the winner, what we just said becomes a very realistic goal for this for this year. You know, 10 or 11 wins. Now, 
you know, this season, that's not going to get you into the college football playoff. It, it probably would get you into a New Year's Six game. And I, I think if you're Kentucky, that's where you want to be. You, you know, that's really the, the step that they have not yet taken uh, under Mark Stoops is being able to get into a New Year's Six game. I mean, they have, they've won 10 games. Um, and you, when you consider where the program was not too long ago, uh, that's a huge step forward. And they have, they've sustained it. And they're, you know, once again ranked. And, and they have, they've shown they have staying power, but I think that is the logical next step is to get to a New Year's Six game. And for that reason, I think you could argue the game is probably more significant for Kentucky than it is to Florida. But for either of them, if they're going to contend for the division, this is a game that they need to win. Uh, and so there's a lot on the line here, and I think it should be a fun one to, uh, to watch played. And, and um, it's going to be a night game without a whole lot of other stuff going up against it. And I think um, it is, as I said earlier, the most significant game of the day involving SEC teams. All right, let's talk about the Alabama game. I mentioned earlier this is the first meeting of Alabama and Texas since the national championship game to end the 2009 season. These programs have gone in opposite directions since that day in Pasadena. Nick Saban, we have watched build the greatest dynasty in the history of major college football. He's since added five more national championships and Alabama is what it is. What it's, it's what everybody else in the sport is aspiring to be. Texas, after having been very dominant for about a decade under Mac Brown up until that point has since had five losing seasons. Think about that five losing seasons since it last played Alabama. Texas is on its fourth head coach since then, and this one happens to be Alabama's former offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, who's now in his second year running the program. And that's a little bit of a subplot. If you're looking for something else to get excited about in this game, you know, Sark and a few of his assistants came from Alabama. He has a few players who transferred from Alabama, but it's really hard to find too much more to get excited about uh, when it comes to this matchup. Alabama is, as I mentioned before, about a three-touchdown favorite. And, and I think the real question, and look, maybe they'll get into the game, and in the second half we're, we're wondering, you know, is Alabama going to survive? And certainly that's what Fox, who's televising this game, is hoping for. They're going to get that type of matchup. For most people, though, right now, the question is, will Alabama make a statement? Are we going to see something out of Alabama similar to what we saw out of Georgia last week against Oregon? Because we know Alabama and Georgia are very even. We've seen that over several years, not just from last season's split of the head-to-head meetings, but for quite some time. These have been two of, of, you know, at worst the top three programs, you know, maybe the top two, probably the top two in college football, especially with Clemson falling off a little bit last year. But anyway, you could argue about the numbers, but there's no question. Those two are at the top of college football right now. And, Georgia put a big number up on the board a week ago against a ranked opponent. Now, this game is not against a ranked opponent, but but it is a true road game, which Georgia's obviously was not playing in Atlanta. Uh, but, but I think people are expecting to see something similar. And the question is, can Alabama answer with an emphatic win uh, in a game that everybody's watching? And to me, that's the storyline. That's what everybody is is waiting to see. And uh, in, in some ways, um, it's unfortunate that that's where we are right now with college football is that 
is that a couple of teams are so much better than everyone else, then it, it's really just a matter of how ugly is it going to be. Uh, I know that's rat poison. Nick Saban just sent me a text and don't talk about stuff like that. But um, that's uh, that's what this game is, I think, for for most of America. And uh, and we'll, we'll talk about it on Saturday night. We'll see how Alabama does. All right, let's get into some more of the, the SEC games here for week two, because there are, there are a lot of them that are interesting for various reasons. And when I look at the schedule, I'm not saying all the games fall into one of these categories, but a lot of them fall into one of two categories, two, two themes, if you will, for, for week two in the SEC. One theme is teams coming off emotional games against teams that basically went through the motions. You know, they, they, they weren't challenged. They didn't have to expend a lot of energy. And uh, you know, played an over overmatched opponent, won easily, et cetera. And and so one of these games I've already talked about uh, in uh, the beginning of the podcast, which is Kentucky being one of those teams that cruised against Miami of Ohio last week against Florida, which was taken to the limit against Utah. And the 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 premise for this whole conversation uh, for for me pointing this out is this idea that. It's very difficult, especially for college teams, to play your A game two weeks in a row. You know, I, I worked for many years at ESPN with Lou Holtz, uh, who obviously had a lot of success as a head coach. And one of the things he always talked about was, as a coach in college football, you have no idea what team you're going to get from one week to the next. Like Even when you think they've prepared well, even sometimes when you don't think they've prepared well, they come out and play well. Like It's just unpredictable because of all the things they have going on in their lives outside of football. It's not their job. You know, they're, they're students, they've got relationships, there are all sorts of things um, that are on their minds, and you just have no idea what you're going to get. And, and part of it's physical, um, but part of it's emotional. And, and that's kind of where I'm getting to, is this idea that Florida, last week, while, look, it wasn't a conference game. I mean, this week is is clearly a more important game for Florida's season because it's it's in the conference, it's in the division. Last week was a non-conference game, but last week was a game against a top 10 team coming into the swamp. Florida was considered an underdog, and they were jacked up, man. They were ready to play, and they went out and played really well, and it was a dramatic finish. You know, they scored late to take the lead. They, they held on with interception in the end zone. The crowd was going nuts. I, I would assume it took the players a little while to come down from that high. And obviously they've got to get back up again because they're going to have to play their A game again to be able to beat Kentucky. And you just wonder how easy is that to do uh, for Florida or for anybody. And, and so I, I think that makes this a fascinating matchup uh, for yet another reason uh, for week two. And, and Florida's not the only team that's in that situation. Now, there, there are three more I'm going to point to that are non-conference games where the opponent of the SEC team is the one that's coming off of the, the emotional game. One of those is Pitt, which is hosting Tennessee. Any of you who watched that game last Thursday night where Pitt played West Virginia in, in, in what is, for those who know college football, is a rivalry. That is a, a big rivalry. They hadn't played in a while. Um, but, man, the crowd was really into it. It was another game that kind of went back and forth. And uh, Pitt ended up winning. But it's one of those, you, know, you wonder how much energy did they expend, uh, physical and emotional, in order to do it, while Tennessee 
just cruised in its season opener. And um, you figure Tennessee is probably in a better spot leading into this game. Maybe they haven't been tested the way that Pitt has. But I think as, if you're a coach, you'd much rather come in off of the type of game that Tennessee had than, than off of what Pitt had. Uh, another one is Appalachian State going to Texas A&M. Now, this isn't a game where normally people would be giving App State much of a chance going into College Station. App State, for those who don't know, is in the Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina. So it, it's in the state of North Carolina. This is a team in the Sun Belt Conference. They were playing last weekend at home against the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And you, so you're talking about a Sun Belt team getting an in-state ACC opponent, you know, to come to their stadium. And they they got off to an early lead, then North Carolina kind of took control of the game, and it appeared several times North Carolina had it wrapped up. But App State kept fighting, kept fighting. And uh, a few of you uh, saw this on SportsCenter or wherever. App State ended up scoring 40 points in the fourth quarter alone and almost came back and won this game. They ended up being stopped on the one-yard line on the two-point conversion to try to tie. Ended up losing 63-61. So to go from that to now having to you know fly halfway across the country to College Station and play against a better team, but now you're on the road, I'm look. I had some questions about AM based on the first uh, performance of the season that they had, but it fell into that category of hey, you know, just kind of a sleepwalking type performance, not all that unusual for week one. And so I, I think this one really sets up for an AM blowout because um, it's just hard for me to imagine that App State has much left in the tank after what they did last week and especially the comeback and coming so close and the disappointment of not winning it. And then maybe one other game that would fall into that category, maybe not as quite uh, of an emotional win, but Arizona, which hosts Mississippi State this week, was an underdog last weekend at San Diego State. And Arizona has been dreadful in recent seasons. And San Diego State um, is a a well-respected program in the Power Five. And uh, Arizona went in as an underdog, and they didn't just win. I mean, they played very well offensively. And so it, it wasn't a, a close game where, you know, it would fall into the same category as, a, you know, App State or or Pitt or Florida. But, but I do wonder, did Arizona just play about as well as they're capable of playing last week and now they've got to play Mississippi State? Uh, hard to say, but that's one that I would say let's, let's just – keep an eye on that. And as good as Arizona looked in week one, considering how inconsistent, if not bad, they've been for several years now, maybe it's asking a lot of them to go out and and look good two weeks in a row. So possible advantage to Mississippi State there um, if you're you're buying into this whole idea of of emotional expenditure is is, uh, it's difficult to come off of because it's tough to repeat. All right, so the second theme um, is lightly regarded SEC East teams that, that have a chance to prove something. And let, let's look at the second conference game um, this week, which is South Carolina at Arkansas. Now, Arkansas is obviously ranked. Arkansas is at home. But South Carolina, after making some 
noticeable progress last year in, in year one under Shane Beamer has an opportunity to make a statement. Um, they don't even have to win the game to make the statement. I think if they take Arkansas to the wire, that would make a statement. So there's opportunity there. And then on top of it, I would say they have to feel some level of confidence coming in because of what they saw from Arkansas's defense last week against Cincinnati. Arkansas is banged up in the secondary. Their corners looked extremely vulnerable. And so South Carolina has a, a new quarterback, Spencer Rattler, a you know, highly rated recruit coming out of high school who just never quite clicked at Oklahoma. Um, had a decent first game, um, but but he's going to have some some chances, you know, against some cornerbacks who were underwhelming in week one. We'll just say that would be a fair way to say it. They were underwhelming. And I think there are some opportunities there for South Carolina to make some plays, score some points. It depends on what their defense is able to do against K.J. Jefferson and company. Um, but, but yeah, this is an opportunity for South Carolina uh, to pull an upset, get their season off to a huge start, or at the very least uh, to play a close game on the road as, as a decent-sized underdog and, and gain a lot of respect and, and a lot of belief probably as they uh, head further into the season. And then two other teams in the SEC East that fall into this category. Missouri is at Kansas State. And and most seasons, I would say, yeah, these teams are probably pretty similar. Not much separating them. Missouri had a rough year last year. And they obviously, um, you know, need to show some improvement this year. They're on the road against a team that is getting some love as a contender in the Big 12. This is belief in the Big 12 by a lot of people that that Texas and Oklahoma are both going to be down a little bit and maybe you know the conference is ripe for the taking by by someone else and and some people kind of point to K-State as one of those teams. Um they they have uh, Nebraska transfer um as as their as their new quarterback and and there's a lot to like about K-State and and so I think this is an opportunity from Missouri if they're able to go in and, and pull an upset there to really get the attention of some people before SEC play starts. And, uh, and and so I would keep an eye on Missouri for that reason and then also an eye on Vanderbilt. Now, Vanderbilt, as you probably know, is 2-0 and on the season. And that's not a normal thing for Vanderbilt. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's incredibly rare, but Vanderbilt doesn't start a lot of seasons 2-0. They're at home this week against Wake Forest, and Wake has a number to the left of its name, which means it's ranked in the top 25. So Vanderbilt hosting a ranked team. Now, Wake Forest is ranked because of what it did last year when it won its division and reached the the, uh, ACC championship game, and that was due in large part to the play of its quarterback, Sam Hartman, who was really, really good a year ago, but he was injured a few months ago. And it was believed that he was going to be out for at least the first month of the season. As it turns out, uh, after missing the season opener, uh, we were just told a couple of days ago that he's supposed to start against Vanderbilt. And while, okay, you know, the ranking is because of Sam Hartman and he is back, I don't expect him to be as sharp as he was at the end of last season and not as sharp as he would have been had he gone through all of August practices with his teammates. So he's back, but I don't think we're quite at the point where we would say this is the same Sam Hartman and the same Wake Forest offense that was so good a year ago. 
And, and so I think Vanderbilt certainly has an opportunity here to take advantage of, of having this opportunity against a team with a quarterback who is probably not as good as he'll be later in the season. And, uh, you know, hey, I, Vanderbilt, at the very least, we can say is is certainly improved from last year. Now, are, are they good enough to have a, a, a chance to flirt with six and six and making a bowl? There's a long way to go before we say that. Um, but if they win this game, then I think they can really start thinking in that direction. And and certainly we'll, we'll start to get some love from, from different areas. They still would not have won an SEC game yet. They've lost 21 in a row in the SEC. But like I said, you can at least start dreaming about a bowl season if you start 3-0, and and especially if one of those is a win over a ranked team. So uh, opportunities for three SEC East teams this week that have been a little down and out lately, but um, you never know when the season is you can turn that around. And, and so for those teams, this is a weekend of big opportunity. All right, it's time for questions. And this is something that we want to do as often as we can on this podcast. So if you have questions, we hopefully will have answers, but uh, send your questions in to us. And it doesn't matter which day of the week. We will uh, we will try to do them on Tuesdays, Thursdays, uh, and on the Saturday night podcast, which you can download on Sunday mornings. That's actually the show where uh, I really want to hear your questions because uh, we'll have Tyler Bray there and you can get into some of the things that happened during the games on Saturday and um, especially interested in, in his opinion on some of the game situation questions that might come up. So so anytime you have questions this season, just feel free to send them to us. Uh, you can do it over Twitter if you want, hashtag SEC22. We'd love to hear from you. We have four questions today, and uh, two of them are kind of related. So I'm, I'm going to read them back to back. Brady asked, how real of a Heisman contender is Anthony Richardson? And David asked, will Stetson Bennett start getting some deserved Heisman love? So this is one of the things that I love about college football. It's that as much as people complain about Heisman conversation early in the season when it doesn't matter, and some people complain about the Heisman itself and it's overrated, whatever, blah, blah, blah. The fact is people love to have players on their teams be discussed as Heisman candidates. And when they actually have a guy in that conversation, they can't get enough of it. And uh, in in David's case, the question about Stetson Bennett, let me just say this, David, I'm not accusing you of anything because I have no idea what your background is. I'm just going to say, I hope that you were on the Stetson Bennett bandwagon after the SEC championship game a year ago. I hope you were not one of those people who was calling for him to be replaced by JT Daniels for the playoff. And now three games later, you're, you're trying to prop him up as a Heisman candidate. Uh, but I do agree with you that he's going to get some Heisman love uh, as is Anthony Richardson. I don't know what the current odds are uh, for, uh, for the Heisman right now. Who cares really? But the question is basically getting at, you know, do they have a chance? How much of a chance? And I'm going to tell you what it comes down to is this. And, and I'm not saying that this is how everybody votes. I was a Heisman voter for, I think it was 12 seasons. And this is certainly not how I voted. But I, I think there's a lot there's a lot of groupthink and a lot of, of a mob mentality when it comes to the Heisman uh, voting uh, group itself. There are over 900 people. 
who vote for the award. And a lot of them don't follow college football as closely as you would like them to, if you care about the award. That's just the reality. It's been that way for, for a long, long time. And because of that, a couple of factors that, that tend to loom large every year. Now, first of all, quarterbacks, and in this case, we're talking about two quarterbacks, have a much greater chance of winning this award than anybody else. Um, obviously, you know, we, we saw a receiver win it just two years ago. So it's not like a quarterback uh, is the only one has a chance, but they are by far in the best position. And so that that's in favor of Anthony Richardson and Stetson Bennett. The other couple things I'll mention, though, are the quality of the team. Uh, and by that, I really mean the record. How good is the team? How highly are they ranked? How late into the season are they, you know, maybe a, a candidate to make the playoff? Um, not saying you have to be a playoff contender, but it certainly helps because especially with a quarterback, a quarterback is held more accountable for his team's record than any other player on the field. And I think everyone can understand why, because a quarterback probably has more to do with the team's record. And that's not to say that every win is, you know, is the quarterback's credit and every loss is the quarterback's fault. But that's kind of the way that people look at it, is the quarterback is largely responsible for the record of a team. And so um, in the case of, let's say, Anthony Richardson, a lot of this has to do with how many games does Florida lose? And I think especially the big games, um, how well does he play? And can they win most of those big games? Like we would expect that Georgia's going to win enough games for Stetson Bennett. The question is, how good is he going to look in the biggest games? He was fantastic against Oregon. Um, now, you get mid midway into the season, I think for the most part that game is, I don't want to say going to be forgotten, but certainly it's not going to carry as much weight as games later in the season will. And, and let's keep in mind the the last game that voters will see before most of them cast their ballots will be the conference championship games, and that was that's why Bryce Bryce Young won it last year. I'm not saying that that's all he did. He had a great season, but what put him over the top was the performance against Georgia in the SEC championship game. And so, what I don't think that you can do very often and have a chance to win the Heisman is lose your final game. And so um, I, I think it would be important for someone like Stetson Bennett to win the SEC title, uh, assuming that they're they're in that game. And then I, I think for Anthony Richardson, they don't necessarily have to beat Georgia, but I think he's going to have to play well against Georgia. And I think he's going to have to play well and win in most of the other games they play against ranked teams that, that have a big audience. And on top of that, the other thing that I think is a major factor with Heisman voting is stats. And we all understand that. My question here is more for Stetson Bennett. I think Anthony Richardson should have huge numbers. I think Florida is going to be in a lot of close games and he's going to have a chance to put up some big numbers, um, both passing and he'll do enough running, have enough highlights running that I think that'll really help his cause. But will Stetson Bennett in all the blowout wins that Georgia has Will he attempt enough passes? You know, I mean, look, he's obviously a guy who can run. He will run sometimes, but he's not going to rack up big rushing numbers. He's not going to rack up as much on the ground as Anthony Richardson will. But how many passing yards per game is he going to average? How many touchdown passes is he going to throw? And being someone who enjoys advanced stats and analytics, I don't care about that stuff nearly as much as most voters do. 
But let's be honest, those are categories that the majority of them look at and pay a lot of attention to, passing yards and passing touchdowns. And it's just hard for me to see Stetson Bennett having the numbers in those categories to be able to stack up with um, even someone like Bryce Young. Now, if, if Alabama um, and Bryce Young lose to Stetson Bennett and Georgia in the SEC championship game, that probably takes care of that. But you look elsewhere at someone like C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, and who knows you know, what other players are going to emerge as the season goes on. It's just hard for me to imagine Stetson Bennett having the, the numbers that would really um, attract the love of the, the Heisman voters. And, and so my answer is, I think they both have a shot. They both deserve to be mentioned as candidates right now. And how long they remain candidates or, or you know, top-notch candidates is going to depend for Anthony Richardson on how many games his team loses and for Stetson Bennett, how many yards and touchdowns he throws for because that's, uh, that's ultimately what's going to get the most attention from the Heisman voters. Okay, Ryan says, uh, on Tuesday's show, Tyler said he doesn't think LSU will be the worst team in the SEC West. Who does he think will be? Okay, so that was a question that I, I did ask Tyler on that show. And he he did say uh, when pressed that he thought it was an overreaction to, to say that uh, LSU would be the worst team in the SEC West. He didn't tell me who he thought it would be, which is why we're getting the question. Unfortunately, Tyler isn't here to answer it. So I'm going to answer it for him. And I'm just going to say, I'm going to say, first of all, I agree with him. I, I think LSU will get better. I still think Auburn is more likely to be the last place team in the West. And that doesn't mean they're going to be absolutely awful. They looked okay in the season opener. But I think with Auburn, you just have a dynamic where it feels like the, the coach is dead man walking. And just the first sign of adversity. I'm not, I'm not saying that he's weak or the players are weak. I'm just saying that as soon as Auburn starts losing games and things start to go wrong, the negativity from that fan base is going to be through the roof. There's going to be all sorts of conversation throughout the Southeast uh, about Auburn bringing in a new coach. And, uh, I mean, look, even the possibility that they could do that midseason if things go bad. And so I just see there being a greater chance that the wheels could completely come off at Auburn where the players are distracted by all the negativity and it becomes difficult to focus and just the snowball effect, you know, and it, and it gets worse. It's harder for me to see that happening at LSU. Look, I have no doubt that Brian Kelly is probably doing things in a way that's very different from Ed Ogeron. And some of the guys who've been around the LSU program for years might not like the way he does things. And it's possible that there could be some rocking of the boat and some friction, you know, with, with some upperclassmen and the head coach. And, and there might be some guys even leave the team. That could happen. But I think all in all, um, Brian Kelly has the support of the administration and there's no chance that, you know, he's getting fired no matter how bad it gets. And so I think, I think there'll be just a lot more positive thinking about a lot more about looking to the future um, with LSU that might not necessarily be the case with Auburn. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to say Auburn is more likely um, to be the worst team. And, and we still, you know, got to see what happens with some other teams as well. Wes asked, what do you expect from Mississippi State this season? And Wes, I'm not going to answer this with a record because I think the bigger deal is that this is year three for Mike Leach. And given how weird of a season 2020 was with COVID and all that, you kind of throw that one out. We saw some 
positive signs in the offense, like taking a step forward last year. And, and I, I think he has a quarterback in Will Rogers who is, is really good for his system, what he wants to do. He's had a chance now, um, not only through recruiting, but also through the transfer portal to bring in players that fit his offensive style much better than, than what he inherited when he first arrived at Mississippi State. And so this is the year, I believe. This is the season in which we will have the question answered, will this offense work in the SEC? You know, and, and it's not, okay, will they be good enough to beat the weaker teams in the conference? They're going to win some conference games. The question is, when they go against the best teams, how well is that offense going to perform? You know, so far, in if, if memory serves me correctly, in two tries against Alabama, Mississippi State is yet to get into the end zone. No touchdowns in two games against Alabama under Mike Leach. Now, Mississippi State's not going to be judged by whether they can beat Alabama. The greater point is the defenses with the best athletes have handled this offense well so far. I mean, I should say the defense being Alabama. But we know that in a given year, we know that that LSU could have an outstanding defense. They're certainly going to get some very talented players, and especially at DB. Texas A&M, the way they're recruiting, um, is, is going to have more often than not a very good defense. And if you're going to make waves in the SEC and, and playing in the SEC West, you're going to have to be able to put up big numbers against teams. I mean, look, if you're Mississippi State, the truth is you're going to have to find a way to score on teams that probably have better players on defense than you have on offense. And that's the bottom line to me. Can Mike Leach's offense do that in the SEC West? You know, can they win enough games to be able to have, you know, a nine or 10 win season every now and then? This is the year I think we get the answer to that question. I'm not saying it depends on whether they win nine or 10 this year. I'm just saying how well that offense performs in conference play, I think is going to answer a lot of questions about the staying power of that offense and of Mike Leach at Mississippi State. And so um, that's my expectation is that we're going to, to get an answer to that question one way or the other. And that's it. That's it for your questions. And I thank you for asking them and uh, really appreciate uh, those who wrote in. Thank you all, especially for listening to this podcast. And once again, you can download it three times a week, Tuesday, Thursday, and then Sunday mornings. And uh, we appreciate you listening and look forward to having you join us again on Sunday. Thanks a bunch. Enjoy the games.